I'm Tommy Green. I'm the associate pastor here at Centerpoint. And this morning, we're going to continue on in our series entitled uh, Face to Face. Inside your bulletin, you're going to find an insert with an outline on it entitled The Blind Man. And if you need a pen to fill in the blanks or take some notes as we uh, go along, if you'll just raise your hand, our ushers would love to come by and get you a pen. Uh, as we've been going throughout this series, we've been, taking, uh, been traveling through the book of John and looking at different people who had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus and how that encounter changed their life. Today we're going to be taking a look at a man who was born blind and Jesus heals him. And not, we're going to be taking a look not only what happens in his life, but the chaos and the stir that is created in his community because of what God did in his life. But before we do that, I want to have a word of prayer and then we're going to jump in today's message. Will you pray with me? Father, we want to come before you and this morning, Lord God, we want to Thank you that, uh, Lord, John uh, made an account of different people who came face to face with you. Lord, I pray that this morning as we take a look at the story of this blind man, it's a fascinating story. And Lord, I pray that as we take a look at it, Lord God, that you would bring some points out, Lord God, and that uh, you'd make this story uh, something that we could apply to our lives. I truly pray, Lord God, that you really would move me out of the way today as we read these scriptures. And Lord God, that you would speak to us and that you would change us from the inside out. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let's jump right into today's message. Point one on your outline says, one day Jesus healed a man who had been blind from birth. The story begins in John chapter nine and it starts this way. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sin? It was not because of his sin or his parents' sin, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. And then Jesus does something very, very strange, something that we don't normally have a picture of Jesus hanging in our wall doing, but this is what he does. He says, Then he spit on the ground, and he made mud with his saliva, and he spread the mud over the blind man's eyes, and he told him, Go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. And I'm sure the guy is like, yes, thank you. Please let me go wash my eyes in the pool of Siloam. I've got spit all over him. Okay? So that's what he does. So, so the man went and he washed and he came back seen. The disciples had been following Jesus around and they had seen Jesus do miracles. They had seen Jesus turn water into wine. Sure, they had seen Jesus heal crippled people. Probably even seen Jesus heal blind people. But all of a sudden they come across this man that had been blind from the time he was born. And the question they asked Jesus is this. Jesus, why is this man being punished? Why is this man cursed? Is it because of the wrong things he's done or is it because of the wrong things his parents done? Is it his sin or is it his parents' sin? Because evidently this guy's been born blind, which means he's been cursed. And Jesus turns to them and he says, neither. It's not his parents' fault. It's not his fault. It's simply so the power of God could be revealed in him. And the point I believe Jesus is trying to make is this. Not every bad thing that happens to us is God punishing us. It's not always a result of our sin. Is there consequences to our sin? Yes. Someone uh, drinks too much and they get behind the wheel of a car and they have an accident. That is a consequence of their sin. If someone has an affair on their spouse and the result of that is a long road of, of divorce or a long road of, of mending that marriage back together. That is a consequence of that sin. 
But not every bad thing that happens to us is a result of our sin. Is God trying to punish us? Matter of fact, the note on your outline states this. We live in a fallen world where bad things happen to all of us. If you're alive for very long at all, you know that we're going to go through tough times. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. And not every bad thing that we go through is a result of God trying to punish us or a result of us, our sin and the bad things that we've done. Here's what, here's what Jesus said in John 16, 33. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. If a tornado came through our community and it destroyed one neighborhood and it didn't destroy another, is God trying to punish this one neighborhood because it has more sin in it than the other? No. If one person gets cancer and their neighbor does not, is one being punished and the other one not? No. What we do is you got to realize that we live in a fallen world. When Adam sinned at the very beginning of time, a curse was placed upon the earth. And we live in such a fallen world that bad things are going to happen. But here's the good news. One day, Jesus is going to come back. And that curse is completely going to be lifted. And it's going to be a wonderful and a marvelous day. But until that time, there, we're going to go through difficult times in our life. And we need to understand that. Here's, the, here's something else you need to know. Because the disciples viewed this man as being cursed, as being, uh, being punished. Here's another note I want to bring out. The disciples viewed the man as a lost cause. But Jesus doesn't view anyone that way. When you think about it, Jesus, the disciples were focused on what caused this man's problem, what caused this man's blindness. Jesus was focused on fixing the problem because Jesus has the power to fix problems. And that's the good news for us because Jesus still has the power to fix problems. His power has not diminished. Okay, He still has the power to change lives. He still has the power to heal broken hearts and to mend uh, people that are emotionally unstable and to heal bodies that are physically damaged. He still has that power and it's good news. Listen to what Isaiah 59.1 says. The Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. Jeremiah 32 says this, I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. Is there anything too hard for me? Jeremiah goes on to answer that question. The answer is no. There is nothing too difficult for the Lord. And a life application for us this morning is that we must not give up on God's ability to change people. We must not give up on God's ability to change people. Many of us know people in our life, whether a, a, a family member or a coworker or someone we went to school with, that we would almost write out, off as being too far gone for God to be able to reach them. Matter of fact, if they came in, they're the type of people that if they came in this room and, and they gave their life to Jesus and their life was radically changed, we would faint. And we all know people like that. But the truth is that no one is too far gone that the arm of the Lord can't reach out and rescue. And we need to keep praying for those people like that. We need to keep, peop- we need to keep praying and pressing on and believing that God's going to do amazing things in their life. You know, you might be here this morning and you might think that of yourself. That I've done too many things wrong in my life to ever be used of God. And that's a lie. 
Because Jesus is in the business of changing people and rescuing people and saving people. Have you ever thought about this? That some of the worst sinners become some of the greatest saints? I mean, just the other day, I was on Facebook. And I had a friend that I had reconnected that I was from high school. And when we were in high school, this guy was rotten to the core. I mean, if he, there was something bad to be done, he was doing it. Didn't want to have anything to do with God. Didn't want to have anything to do with church. And so you can understand my surprise when I started reading his post on Facebook. And they were all scripture. And they were all about what God was doing in his life and what God was doing in his church. See, God loves to rescue people that we don't think are rescuable. (laughs) He loves to reach down because that's his nature. Listen to what, um, uh, listen to this on John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus loves saving people. Jesus loves rescuing people. Jesus loves doing amazing things in people's lives. Now, I want you to understand something about this story. Jesus uh, spits on the ground. He makes mud, puts it on the man's eyes. The man goes and wash, and he comes back seen. When this man comes back seen, he creates quite a stir in his community. Matter of fact, that leads us to point two on our outline. People had different responses to the blind man's healing. Point A states that the blind man's neighbors were confused and wanted to know what had happened to him. So he comes back, he comes back from the pool, and he's, he comes back seen, and this is what happens, how the story continues. His neighbors and others who knew him as the blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was. Others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I'm the same one. I won't get you get this picture in your head. He comes back seeing and he's on the street and people are kind of gathering around him and they're talking about him. Is that the guy that used to sit on the street and beg? Well, I think it is. No, it can't be. It's him. All along, this guy's jumping up and down saying, it's really me, guys. It's really me. I mean, have you ever been in a room where people are talking about you and not talking to you? That's what's happening to this guy. And you can understand their confusion because, I mean, this guy once was blind, but now he's seen. And I kind of relate this. I understand what they're saying because many of you have been praying for my daughter, Lizzie. And many of you know that she has a mild case of cerebral palsy, causes her to not walk very well, and just went through surgery and is recovering. As a matter of fact, if she was at the back of the room, then she walked all the way to the front. It would probably take her 10 minutes to get to the front. But imagine if you came in here, you that know her, and all of a sudden she was running around this room playing chase with all the other kids. And she ran up to my leg and she was pulling on my pants pockets. I mean, most of you would go, is that Lizzie? No, it can't be Lizzie. Lizzie's, she's, she, she, doesn't, she doesn't walk very well. She can't be running. And that's exactly what's happening in this story. His neighbors are going, is, is that the man or is it not? And when he finally gets their attention and said, yes, it's really me. This is how the story continues. They asked, well, who healed you? What happened? And he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So he went and washed and now I can see. So I went and washed and now I can see. This man has a face-to-face encounter with Jesus and he is changed. And everybody wants to know, 
what happened to you? And he simply tells them the truth. He simply tells them his story. And here's a note for us. Everyone who has an encounter with Jesus has a story to tell. If you've had a true encounter with Jesus, if you really know him, your life has changed. It's changed. You cannot meet Jesus face to face, get to know him and have an experience with him and leave that experience the same. Here's the reason why. Jesus is in the business of changing lives. And if you've met him, your life has been changed and you have a story to tell. A story that can impact other people. An impact that, a story that God can use to change your friends and your family and your neighbors. And here's another life application for us. We need to be prepared to tell others what Jesus has done for us. We need to be prepared to tell that story. When I was nine years old, I had an encounter with Jesus and I gave my life to him. And I can truly say that my life was changed, even at a very young age. And I wasn't a perfect kid. I didn't do everything right. But I tried to live my life as a Christian. I tried to live my life through God's standards and through his word. And when I was a sophomore in high school, I got my first job as, in a steakhouse as a dishwasher. And I wasn't uh, just the guy who put the dishes in the dishwasher. I was the dishwasher. Okay? I was the guy who scraped the plates, washed the dishes, you know, rinse the dishes, put them up. I wouldn't want to say, matter of fact, as I'm telling this story, I better remind myself. Um, I probably shouldn't tell this story because my wife is going to realize I've been playing dumb for the last 15 years of our marriage. <laughs> oh, the last 16 years of our marriage. Now I'm really in trouble. Um, so, but that's what I did. And as I was there washing dishes one day, I had a guy that I went to school with that was washing dishes with me. And he turned to me and he told me, we got in this conversation. He says, you know, I've been watching your life for the last few years and you're different. He said, um, you have a joy and a peace that I don't have. And why is that? And when he asked me that question, I didn't know how to respond. I had never thought, what was I going to say to someone who asked me that question? And so... I just kind of fumbled through and said a few things I thought. And, uh, you know, I, I, I told him my story, but I, I didn't really know what to say. I never thought about that. And we need to be prepared to be able to tell our story. And because that happened to me, I have a passion for being able to help people tell their story. Many of you get to see some of the testimonies that we have up here a lot of times. And I get the opportunity to sit down with people and to help them be able to tell their story in a way that people can understand and the people people can relate to. And I believe some of those testimonies are very, very powerful and very, very impactful. And because I believe that that God's given me a passion for that, and we believe here at Centerpoint that the ministers here are called to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, one of our desires is to be able to help you be able to tell your story, help you be able to give an answer for the hope that you have, to be able to tell people clearly in a concise way what has happened to you? So you're going to hear about this a little bit later in the, in, the, in the message, but we're going to be offering a class that you can come to to be able to help you tell your story. Listen to what 1 Peter 3.15 says. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and great respect. We need to be prepared to tell our story. 
when this blind man comes back and he's seen the neighbors, all they, they were all totally confused and they simply wanted to know what had happened to the man. Point B states this though, the Pharisees refused to believe that Jesus had healed the blind man. After uh, the friends had found out the man, what had happened to the man, they take the man to the Pharisees, which was custom in that day. If you had been healed, you're supposed to go so supposed to go show yourself to the priest. And so that's what they're doing here. And starts the, the story continues this way. Then they, talking about the neighbors, took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? And the man replied, I think he must be a prophet. And what he is telling them, I think this man must be from God. Then the Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see. Go ahead and turn your page over. So for the second time, they called the man in, in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. So they bring the man to the Pharisees and the Pharisees begin to question him. Hey, what happened? He said, well, this man came along and he put mud on my eyes. I washed it away and now I can see. And but when the Pharisees find out that it was Jesus was the man who had healed him, they refuse to believe the man. They refuse to believe what they see. They, be, they refuse to believe what they hear with their own ears. They had already made up their mind about Jesus and they refused to believe. And you know, there are people in our society today that do the exact same thing. There are people who see God do miracle after miracle in their life. They see God provide for them. They see God guide them and protect them. And they see miracle in the changes that God makes in other people's lives. But yet they still refuse to believe. And the reason they refuse to believe is simply this. They don't want to believe. Because when you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then you are saying that we're a flawed people. There's something wrong with us. We need a savior. Not only are you saying that, you're saying that God's word must be true. And if God's word is true, then I have to live by the standards that it talks about. And I'm not willing to do that. So I don't care what I see. I don't care what you say. I don't care what change has been made in your life. I am going to refuse to believe in Jesus. And here's a note for us. Jesus cannot give spiritual sight to those who refuse to see. Here's how he says it in Matthew 13, 15. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let them be healed. And here's a life application for us this morning. We must guard our hearts against the sin of unbelief. We must guard our hearts against the sin of unbelief. Now, let me tell you something. There's a difference between doubt and refusing to believe. I mean, Jesus' disciple, Thomas, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he doubted that Jesus was alive. 
until he could see him, until he could be proved he doubted. And there are times in our lives that all of us are going to go through times of doubt. And that is totally different than refusing to believe in who Jesus says he is. You know, when people refuse to believe who God is, who he says he is, there is no hope for them. And let me tell you why. Because the people who refuse to believe there's no God until the very end, there's nothing God can do. Because Hebrews says this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. To come to God, you must believe that he's who he is. It's the impartable sin to refuse to ever believe. See, when the blind man came to the Pharisees, the Pharisees refused to believe. Here's what Hebrews says, 3.12. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. The Pharisees did not believe the man. They refused to believe the man. His neighbors, they were just confused and wanted to know what happened. That leads us to point C on your outline. The blind man's parents were afraid of being associated with Jesus. As the Pharisees are questioning the man, they call in the man's parents, and this is how the story continues. So they called in his parents, and they asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he see? How can he now see? And his parents replied, we know this is our son, and that he was born blind, but we don't know we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said he's old enough. Ask him. Imagine this. This man gets healed and the Pharisees start questioning the parents. And the parents, they ask the parents, is this your son? Yes, he's our son. Was he blind? Yes, he was born blind. Can he see now? Yes, he can see now. He can see now. Well, well, who did it? We don't know. I mean, could you just imagine this? They had been probably been praying for their son all of their life that he could be able to see. And when the time comes that God does a miracle in his life and Jesus is there and does this amazing thing, they're more concerned with their social status than they are with the fact that Jesus has just healed their son. What you've got to understand is the synagogue was the cultural center in that day. And that if you were kicked out of the synagogue, that you would have been an outcast. And they become more fearful of what people think of them than glorifying God of what God has done in their life. And you know, I could sit here all day long and I could condemn these parents for doing that. But the truth is I've done it in my own life. There have been times I've had the ability and the a responsibility to tell people about the amazing thing that God has done in my life or, or to, ex, to just express and to stand up boldly and say, yes, I'm a Christian. And I've backed away because I was scared of what people would think. I was scared of being a social outcast. And the truth is that we need to stand up every opportunity we get and boldly proclaim who Jesus is and what he has done in our life. And this is a life application for us. We must never be ashamed of Jesus. We must never be ashamed of Jesus. This is what Paul says in Galatians 1.10. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. 
This is what Jesus says about it in Mark 8, 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the son of man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his father and with the holy angels. We need to stand up for Jesus. We need to not be ashamed of our, what he's done in our life. I mean, when the parents were asked about their son, they're ashamed of Jesus and they don't stand up and give glory to God. When the Pharisees are confronted with it, they refuse to believe. When the neighbors find out, they're simply confused and want to know what's going on. Point D on your outline states this. The blind man believed in Jesus and boldly proclaimed what he knew. He simply believed and he simply told his story. Answering the question of the Fer- that the Pharisees had asked about him, about Jesus, this is how it continues on. I don't know whether he, talking about Jesus, is a sinner, the man replied. But I know this. I was blind and now I see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I've told you once, didn't you listen? Why? Why do you want to be here again? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, "We don't even know where this man comes from." Well, that's very strange," the man replied. "He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but He is ready to hear those who worship Him and do His will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind." If this man were not from God, he could not have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered him. Referring back to the fact that the man must have been cursed. You were born a total sinner, they answered him. Are you trying, and now you're trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. And when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. The man simply, simply answered what he knew. He knew that he once had been blind, but now he sees. He knew that every good and right thing comes from God and that God hears those with a sincere heart that cry out to him, those were the things he knew. And a life application for us this morning is this. Jesus wants us to believe in him and boldly tell others what we know. I was telling you the story about my friend that I worked with when I was washing dishes at that steakhouse. I wasn't prepared to give him the answer that I wanted to give him at that time. But you know, Jesus had done something in my heart and I clumsily weaved through telling him about Jesus. And it wasn't pretty. It wasn't clear. But you know, he became a believer. You know, he gave his life to Jesus and he's serving Jesus even to this day. You know, I could have sat back and said, you know, I don't know enough. I'm not prepared when the opportunity came my way. And there are many times that there are going to be opportunities that come your way. And let me tell you this. Do not let the fact that you don't know everything keep you from saying something. 
Okay? Speak what you know. You know your story. You know what God has done in your life. You know a few verses that God has put in your heart. Share that. It's powerful and impactful and can change lives. Psalms 107 says, Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies. Dan Stovall is one of the members of our church here. And last week, I thought we were going to get to share his testimony. Uh, but before, uh, before we were going to share his testimony, he came to me and he said, Tommy, I don't want you to show that testimony. I don't know if I said the right things. I don't know if I knew enough to actually be able to share my testimony. We sat down and we watched it. And I began to share with him, Dan, your testimony is, says exactly what you went through. You say exactly what God has done in your life. And it's powerful. And it has the power to have an impact on other people's lives. And so this morning, I want to share with you what Dan's story had to say. We watch the screens. My name is Dan Stovall. Uh, I have been in Prattville for most of my life. And I was raised in church, but grew to kind of rebel against religion in general and didn't really like the whole concept and I've I guess depended on myself uh, for all these years and once I got out of school and got to work I focused on my career that was my God I guess you'd say and I focused on that nothing else including my family Uh, I remember coming home one day and my kids were walking around in uh, walkers and the next day I came home they were grown and gone to school and uh, I missed all that I retired at age 55 in 2003, and all of a sudden my focus was changed. I didn't have a career to to worry about uh, or to focus my efforts on. And I started thinking about more and more about life and how long you have left to live, and all of a sudden you go from 10 feet tall and bulletproof to, hey, I'm immortal, and and what's going to ultimately happen to me? And I couldn't answer those questions. And to this date, I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit sent me to a, one of the churches in Prattville. And I was introduced to a minister there, and he began counseling me on what it meant to be a Christian and what the whole concept of Christianity was all about. And I'll admit, I didn't know beans about it. I thought you had to earn your way into heaven and that you had to do more good deeds and did bad deeds. And I was already 60 years behind the curve and had a lot to do to get caught up. He explained to me, uh, what Jesus Christ had done for us and uh, and what it meant to really be a Christian. All I had to ask was to be saved by Jesus Christ and boom, there you are. And I had a hard time grasping that whole concept. just didn't seem like anything that important, that significant could be that easy. But uh, at any rate, I became a believer. Well, what has becoming a Christian done for me? Uh, it's made my life completely different. It's turned it upside down from what it was. Um, I no longer concentrate on me, myself, and I. Um, I try to be a, a more godly uh, husband, parent, grandparent. And I know I've got a long way to go. I'm still a baby as far as uh, Christianity goes, but I've got this inner peace, this contentment. Uh, I don't worry about anything. Uh, I pray instead. And uh, I've... Uh, I've started to worry about other people and, well, worry, be concerned about other people instead of myself. Uh, I think more about uh, my impact on other people and how I come across to them. Uh, I've worked with hospice, uh, I've done Meals on Wheels, still doing Meals on Wheels for the church. Uh, 
and uh, I've done some mission work and, and my plan is to go on the South African mission trip uh, later this year. Uh, God's kept me here for a reason and uh, I'm going to try to fulfill His wishes. <laughs>